We started last week in a book of 1 Corinthians, and if you are interested in um, more notes and things like that, there are what we call discussion guides in the back, and they're just a place to kind of track along with Scripture and put your notes down that way. Um, and so we would love for you to grab one of those if um, that sounds something of interest to you. If not, you can just follow along. But um, this morning we are in week two. We'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 to 17 is where we're going to hang out for this morning. And I'll catch us up to speed here in just a second. But here's the bottom line. In case you snooze off and, and, and don't catch everything this morning, here's, here's the bottom line. The bottom line is this, that we all live, when we all live in preference or in pride long enough, you'll start to divide. When we start to live in preference or pride long enough, we will end up divided. And let me kind of share a story, and you probably can relate to this story. I was, in 1993, I was a junior in high school, and uh, I had gotten wind that my youth pastor was leaving, and then I found out that my youth pastor wasn't just leaving, he was getting fired. And as a you know, junior, you're kind of just up in arms, like, who could do that to my youth pastor? And I was all upset and vindictive and the whole thing. And, and as I found out more, I realized that there was a lot of bureaucracy happening within the church to kind of move him out. The pastor was heading in a certain direction, the youth pastor was kind of old school, but always about making disciples, and, and the new model was this new wave of what was ever new in the 90s, and I don't even know what it was, but there was this new wave that he was going to try, and he didn't quite fit the new model, and so that was kind of a first round of, like, divisions that started to happen in the church. Parents got in upset, and you can't get rid of him. He's a great youth pastor, and you may have been part of churches like that where there's just a division that rises up, and, and everybody's saying something about everybody else, and then that was kind of the first blow. And then the second blow was that um, there was some, some things that happened between, I don't want to go into all of it, but there were some things that happened between the choir director and, and, and some, some things that were happening in, in affair realms. And it was just, it was a whole mess, right? And it was getting covered up and there was some things. And, and at that point, as a junior, senior in high school, which I know everything as a junior and senior in high school, you know, I, I, I just got really upset and really ticked off. And I just kind of, I just left the church. And I was like, I am done with this. Like, if this is church, I want nothing to do with it. And so I left probably for a good year and a half um, when my parents took me to church or expected me to be at church. I'd hang out in the back, and then we'd leave and go down to the whatever. There was like a mini mart down there, and we'd hang out there for like the full hour, and then we'd come back. And it was a whole thing. You know, I had my system down. It was just I hated being there, and I didn't like the division. I didn't like all the stuff that was happening in the church. And in my arrogance, I just thought, you know what? If this is church, I'm just going to leave, and I don't want anything to do with it. And I don't know if you have similar stories or have heard similar stories been part of that, but sometimes when you get into church world, things get a little messy. Things get kind of, you know, I don't know if I like the way they did that. I don't think I trust where they're heading. And, and camps can start to form in churches very quickly. Um, and if you've been there, I apologize. Those are hurtful places to be. But the fact of the matter is, it's nothing new. And Paul is going to tell us, even in Corinthians, that there were some pretty rough divides within this church in Corinth. And preference and pride started to take over in this church. And that preference and pride, my preference for that youth pastor, my preference for my ego, my preference for what I wanted took over. And when preference and pride took over, they made me believe some really stupid things, right? When preference and pride take over, they really can start to mess with your thought life. And they can really start to mess with how you make decisions. This is no more true in church world than when preference and pride and you just get stuck on that issue becomes something you start believing some false things. For instance, I'm a Bengals fan. 
right? Preference and pride make me lead to some stupid decisions, right? They are not going to win. And yet my preference and pride is like, yes, they will. I trust them. They're going to be great. And they're going to be awesome. And they're going to get burrow. It's going to be amazing. And all of a sudden people are like, no, 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 no. We're the Browns. Do you know what we, I mean, come over. We'll show you. This is not going to get better for you, right? And so I've offended everybody today. That's good. But being those kind of things, like our preference and our pride can start to feel that way. So this morning, as you jump into 1 Corinthians, I want to kind of remind you that's what's happening here. There is a lot of division in this church and a lot of things happening. So let me give you a quick recap of where we are, and then we're going to jump into the text. First off, Paul is going to start calling out this church for how divided they have become. And this will be a longer argument that finds its bottom line in verse 10. And it begins here in chapter 1, verse 10. You're going to see the bottom line is in verse 10. And it does not get resolved. This conversation doesn't get resolved until chapter 4. So here's what I mean. This week we're going to look at, at, the, at 10 to 17, what causes the problem of division. And then in the next few weeks together we're going to look at how to solve it. In the next two or three weeks, we're going to look at wisdom and power. And then finally, we're going to look at some closing arguments in the beginning of February in chapter 4 about what he's trying to get across. So the context is this. Imagine walking into this, this, this church, and you can tell something's wrong. Have you ever been there? Like you walk into a friend's house, or you walk into the classroom, and the teacher's just gone off on a student, and you're, you walk in late, and you're kind of like, something's not right. It's just eerily quiet in here, right? Or you walk into a friend's house and the couple's just been fighting and they just open the door. They're like, how are you? And you're like, this is not quite, something's off, right? So imagine walking into this church. That would be the same thing. You walk into this church and you're kind of like, something's just off. Like nobody talks to anybody. This side doesn't talk to that side. That's what's happening here. There must be an overwhelming elephant in the room and nobody's willing to talk about it. And that's how it would have felt at the church in Corinth. That's what it would have been every single Sunday. Well, anyway, Sabbath, whatever. It would have been there every single week, okay? So let's, let's read chapter 10 to 17, and then we're going to dive into some specifics. Here we go. Verse 10. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius so that none of you may say you were baptized in my name. Oh, and by the way, I forgot. I did also baptize also the household of Stephanus. Stephanus, beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone. For Christ did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Let's start in verse 10. I'd appeal to you, brothers, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and same judgment. Let me kind of walk through this with you. A couple stopping points. First off, I appeal to you, brothers. First off, he says, I appeal to you as Christian brothers and sisters in Christ. I, I, I appeal to you who have put your faith in Jesus Christ. This is, this is us together. We are the church. It is the heart of a pastor being torn apart apart. Imagine this. Was, this was a church plant of Paul. Paul planted this church. He was with that church about a year and a half. He leaves. He comes back after close to a year and a half, two years. He comes back and finds this church is just messed up. And he comes back and he's like, guys, 
I started this church with a plan, and this is not what I wanted. And so it's a heart of a pastor appealing to them. He says, I appeal to you. It's a heartfelt, please, guys, listen. I, this is not how I want church to be done. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he says, one, I appeal. And then he secondly, he says, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he not only says, I appeal to you as brothers and sisters. Now he adds in the power by which or authority by which he can speak. I don't appeal to you because I'm Paul. I don't appeal to you because I'm the church planting pastor. I I appeal to you because Jesus is the name above all names. The power and the calling of the pastor was set by Christ on Paul. Does that make sense? So Paul didn't just plant this church. Christ raised up Paul to plant this church. So Paul says, hey, reminding you, Corinth, I didn't just do this on my own. God called me to do this. Remember, this is his church. So as I appeal to you by the name of Jesus Christ that you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and same judgment. This word divided, it's a Greek word called schismata, and it's the word where we get schism from, but that's not the meaning here. The meaning here is probably most easily defined as to tear or to rend or to rip apart. So here's what he's talking about. He says, I wish that there was no division. When I think division, think of a cloth or a t-shirt or something that you can just rip off, right? And you can rip it apart in two, and it's got that noise, and everything shreds apart, and there's frays, and it can never go back together because it's been ripped apart. That's what he's talking about here. This division is, I've ripped this thing apart. There's a tearing, a ripping, or a rending that is happening. So he's like, hey, every relationship in this church is like this t-shirt. just like, and you don't even care. Like you're just ripping each other apart for the fun of it. And he's like, that is not how it is supposed to be. The same tear or rend was actually something Jesus knew well, because in John 7, 4, 40, 44, he says, when they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. Some said, is this Christ from Galilee? Has not scripture said that Christ comes from the offspring of David, from Bethlehem? There's all these different things about who Jesus was. And he says, so there was division among the people over him. Or John 9, 16. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can this man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was division among them. Paul is saying this is just not a disagreement. This is a ripping apart of relationship. And it's all because of the bottom line. When people live in preference and pride, there's always going to be a huge divide. That almost rhymed. There's going to be a large division whenever preference and pride come into the picture. Verse 11. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there's quarreling among you, brothers. Chloe was part of the church. Many believe that Chloe was in the church. And so if we were here today, it would be as if somebody was traveling over to another city where Paul was. And Paul's kind of hearing word, hey, how's the church in Corinth going? How's that church in Canal Fulton going? What's what's going on? Is it going okay? And all of a sudden they're like, you don't even know. (laughs) It is bad bad like people are like they've got like fat heads of like different people in the sanctuary they're like i love apollos i love paul like leading cheers it's bad paul you got to come back because it is messed up and that's just one of the issues in corinth like this is a minor issue of what's happening in the church so chloe's people they report to paul paul hears about it he sends this letter chloe's people quarreling among my brothers verse 12 What I mean is this. Here's some of what was going on. I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow 
Christ. So let me give you the teams. First off was Team Paul, okay? Team Paul was, hey, he's the founder. He's the planter. You don't mess with the planter founder. The guy has a building for crying out loud, right? Uh, so it, it's that kind of thing. It's that kind of vibe, right? He, he, is, he is to be respected. He is known. You don't mess with the founder, pastor, planter. He is the guy, right? So he's Team Paul. And then they have a, a team called Team Apollos. Now, Team Apollos, this would have been a fun team because Apollos was a young guy who was known by the couple Priscilla and Aquila in Acts 18. They, they met Apollos, and Apollos was one of those dudes that you meet, and the guy was so eloquent and so smooth, and so he probably had like the full hipster kind of gear. Like he just could talk, and everybody's like, I don't know what it is about that guy, but I love him. I just love him. And every time he spoke, people were like, Apollos. <laughs> Apollos. Right? Because he was, and even Acts 18 says he was eloquent. He was smooth. But he didn't know a whole lot. And so Aquila and Priscilla, there's a story in Acts 18 that said they had to pull this guy aside. And they're like, hey, I get that you're smooth. I get this. But you're preaching the wrong doctrine, bro. So you got to step aside. (laughs) It's not Jesus you're preaching. So we got to correct that junk. Right? And so they pull him aside. And they're like, you got to get your theology right before you start getting all the things right. We, we say all the time here, we, take, we don't take ourselves too seriously, but we take theology or the Bible seriously. We do. And so if that happens here, we're like, bro, I love you, but you ain't doing that again. Right? That's what happened to Apollos. You ain't pe- teaching bad theology anymore because that ain't going to work. So they pull him aside. They have a conversation. But Apollos, at some point from this, uh, in Alexandria and Ephesus, he ends up in Corinth. There's Acts 19.1. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through inland country and made his way to Ephesus. So somehow Apollos has made his way to Corinth and he has gotten a following in Corinth because he's just so catchy, right? It's kind of like that catchy song that you find yourself singing along to and you're like, oh, I don't even know if I like the words of it, but it's just so smooth. I just like this guy. And so Apollos had this huge, huge following in the church at Corinth. Add to all of that not only the smoothness, not only that he wasn't the planter pastor, the planter pastor wasn't there, so it's easy to follow Apollos. Add to that that he would have been the perfect fit for Corinth, right? We said last week that Corinth is kind of that city that's a mix of New York, L.A., and Vegas, right? It was like the place. Like, imagine the atmosphere of Vegas and the numbers of New York and the economy of L.A., right? That was Corinth. So he would have fit right in. Tim Keller, a uh, pastor, says this but what I, about the city, right, and about it planting in a city. He says this, what I found most interesting is this. In a blue-collar town, your pastoral work sets up your preaching. In other words, you need to be a shepherd first. Unless congregants have gotten to know you personally, unless you've supported them through all kinds of problems and show wisdom in the way as you minister and treat them, they won't listen to your preaching. They have to trust you first. In a place like New York, however, people look for expertise. They're professionals, and they want to know you've got the goods. They want to know you're really good at what you do. And if they hear you and they say, oh, that's smart, that's interesting, that's skillful, then they'll come and they'll talk to you about their problems. Isn't that interesting? Like blue-collar, small town, that's not, like we know fake. We know phony, and and we, we don't get you know, maybe all impressed with all the accolades, right? But in a city like Corinth, like New York, it would have been like, oh man, this guy's so well-versed. He speaks so well. This guy's awesome. So that's Team Apollos. And then you have Team Peter. 
which is a unique kind of name to throw in here because Peter was the disciple of Jesus Christ. He was the starter of the church. Peter probably had more Jewish followers than anybody, and he probably had some even within the church, and there's a lot of debate about why Peter's name is in here, but maybe there must have been a team that was basically Jewish people who got saved and then basically still followed the Jewish heritage and said, we still like that guy Peter. He started the church. He's the rock of the church. We follow Peter. And then come the ones that I love. And I'm, I don't really, I'm gonna, just going to use my, uh, uh, how do I say this? The, I'm not going to say this is straight, like, believe this because this is absolutely true, okay? So this is just my commentary on this, so this is not the Word of God says. But here's what I think w- when it says this. It says, I believe that there is a team of those that say, but I follow Jesus. My sarcastic side reads that and says, are these the ones? They're like, Again, I don't know this is true, so just stick with me. But we're possibly the ones who are like, I follow Apollos, I follow Paul, I follow Peter. And then you have the ones that are always right, right? And they're always like, I follow Jesus. You can't, I mean, you can't win that one. You're like, well, but my team's, okay, team Jesus, okay, you win, right? I mean, there's nothing you can, you can't top that one. So they could have been, or it could have been sincere. There could have been some that are like, you know, you guys are divided. I'm going to follow Christ. But ultimately there was these four teams. And here's the crazy part. It's always interesting that in all these four teams, here's the interesting thing. It's always amazing to me that something so good can cause something so terrible. Alliances and following pastors, great. Uh, Being drawn to one over the other, fine. Maranatha, Bible Church is a church that we're uh, partnering with, and they, they have three or four pastors that preach rotation-wise, and, and there's some that are like, no, I really like Butch. I really like Bruce. No, 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 I really like... And so they'll kind of like decide which pastor they like because they get to hear different ones, and that's fine. But here's the problem is that if our preference and our pride go long enough unexposed, they will eventually divide. Because here's the problem with those camps. All of those camps followed the person. They didn't follow Jesus. All of those camps, if they truly did follow Jesus, if their Team Jesus team was really Team Jesus, it probably should have made a difference, right? Their desire was misplaced into a man and not Christ. And here's what I want to say just first off, big main point this morning is this. Some of us can find our desires not too small or not too big, Some of us, I truly believe in this room, our desires are misplaced. Our desire is for this person, this church, this place. My desire is to just be a good person. And and these desires are fine, but when our desires are misplaced, they're not directed to Jesus. No amount of dedication or allegiance can trump a true desire for Jesus. So here's the question I would ask the church at Corinth and I would ask us today. Do you desire Jesus or do you desire the pastor's style? Do you desire Jesus or do you desire the, desire the model? Do you desire Jesus or do you desire the, the church and the building and all the, Do you desire Jesus or do you desire comfort? Right? All of us are there, me included. I was preaching, reading, prepping this thing and I'm like, oh my word. I've allowed my desires to get so out of whack. Let me just kind of confess one thing this, this morning. When we're moving into this building, we're moving into this church, and we're moving into this area, and, and we've been in the high school, and we're set up and we tear down for years, and, and this whole thing, and I get into this place, and I find my desires, if I can just be honest with you, I find my desires moving towards, I desire to be successful and not fail, and not, 
I desire Jesus at all costs. Does that make sense? It's a slippery thing, man. I'm telling you. And I, I, I worry too much, and I, I freak out too much, and I, and I worry and I freak out because I, I think, is this going to work? <laughs> is this going to be successful? Are we going to make the transition? Are we going to be able to do this? And Jesus comes back and says, even if this thing bombs, am I enough? And I have to be honest, some days I'm like, I don't know. Gosh, that's a terrible thing to say. But in my humanity, I can think sometimes, I don't know, I want this thing to succeed. And God's like, at the expense of what? At the expense of me? At the expense of us? At the expense of a desire for Jesus above all else? And as I'm prepping this, I have to confess, guys, that was, that was in me. And I'm like, oh, my word. My desires have gotten misplaced. And I desire Jesus, even if this thing catches fire and is gone tomorrow. I desire Jesus even if the body divides and we're broken up. I desire Jesus more than anything. And if that's not true, my desires can go all kinds of places that aren't Jesus. And that sounds so simple, but it's, it's, it's true. And God's asking us at Community Bible Church, where's your desire? Is it in the new stuff? Is it in the programs? Is it in the people? Is it, is it in good things? Or is it in good things? Yeah, that's great. But is it me? If at the end of the day, all this goes away, is your desire still me? And that's my hope and my prayer for us through this series is we don't get caught up in all the divisions and all the preference and prides and my life and this and these things. If it all went away tomorrow... Could I still desire him? And I love that song, Highlands, because there is something about that that says no matter what is going on in my life, it's Jesus, and it's his, his relationship with myself, and it's my desire, and I'm hoping that's true of us. Only Jesus. May he be our strongest passion this year. May he be our biggest strongest desire. That when we talk to people, we're like, hey, have you heard about Jesus? He's amazing. Let me tell you what he's doing in my life this week. Have you heard about Jesus? He is changing the face of our church. It's amazing. Can I tell you about Jesus? Because he has done some crazy cool things in my marriage. Can I tell you about Jesus? Because my kids were jacked up and now they're amazingly different because Christ is in it. My desire is Jesus and Jesus alone. And so I think that's where they started to go wrong. I think that's where any church can start to go wrong. And so we have to remind ourselves about the power and the passions and our desires for ultimately Jesus alone. He continues and he says, uh, we're many baptized. Uh, and he goes, um, was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of, of Paul? That's, <laughs> that's just fun, right? So a good pastor, what he does, he starts with his, t- his own team first, right? So they're all team Paul, team Paul, team Paul. And Paul's like, hey guys, uh, was I on the cross? Was, was, was I baptized? Like I baptize you now in the name of Paul and Paul and Paul. Amen. Right? I mean, that, that was so freaky weird. And so he's like, no, it was Jesus that was your salvation. It was Jesus who you were baptized in. Like, I love all of you, but I don't know if it came down to it, if they're like, hey, your church or the cross? Or, 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 you know, you're kind of like, am I going to die for that person? I hope so, but there are days where I'm like, I don't know. Like, I like life. I like breathing. I like living. 
Paul probably had the same thing. Like, I love you guys, but you're messed up, jacked up church. There are days like, I didn't go to the cross for you. I don't love you that much, right? But Jesus did. Jesus does. And he dies for you. So he starts with himself. Here's the key. In any division that you have, think of your last fight, okay? Think of your last big argument, home, work, whatever. Isn't it true that when you start with yourself, it's the best place to start any kind of division? So Paul begins with himself. Hey, my team, Team Paul, listen up. We aren't anything. It's Jesus. And then ask good questions. Even ask, Paul's asking sarcastic questions. Those are even better, right? Ask good questions in the middle of that debate and say, okay, what's really at stake here? What is the dividing thing? The dividing thing was their desire was for a man and not for Jesus, and he starts to tweak them and turn them around. In any good debate, in any long conversation, you start to find yourself dividing from somebody. Start with yourself. Ask good questions. Because he reminds them, is Christ divided? No. And then he goes into this little tangent about who he baptized and who he didn't baptize. And then he goes into verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And to preach the gospel not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. You see, the bottom line here is division is going to happen. It's just going to be part of what happens in any kind of church because we're human. But at the beginning and at the base of all of this is it is Christ and Christ alone. Verse 17, I did not come to preach with the gospel with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. We're going to see in the next two weeks just how crazy our salvation story is, how foolish it sounds and how unwise it sounds. In the next two weeks, we're going to unpack that in the rest of this chapter in chapter 2. But for this morning, can I just remind us this morning that we all tend to get divided into different things. We all get divided into different camps, but it's ultimately our desire for Jesus that is the basis of it. And let me just end finally with some practical things here this morning. Just let me end practically with some last things, and then we're going to sing together and and close out. But let me just go here. Um, We realize that we're always going to be divided. We realize that's part of a church. It's just our makeup. Um, there's a book called Blind Spots that I was, I was reading in preparation for this guy named Colin Hansen. And in this book, he says, the problem with blind spots is that they tend to hide behind good traits. Your weaknesses are often the flip side of your strength. And so you may be working and, 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 and striving in your strength, but if it goes long enough, it can start to become a negative. So for instance, the the negative side of my personality, the, the, the well, let's go to the positive side first. The positive side is I can push and push and push and the next thing and the next hill to conquer and let's just keep going. We got another thing to get to and let's just go. Let's just get to the next thing. It could be a good thing, but when that starts to go negative is when I start to kind of grab control of everything, right? I can start to grab control of this area or that area and what was my strength of a passion to do the next thing can become a negative in the fact of grabbing control. And the same is true for you. You have some really big strengths in your life, but ultimately those strengths can become your biggest weakness as well. And in the midst of these divisions, it's important to remember, okay, my strength is my strength and I need to put it into Christ I need to trust him with my strengths and not allow it to go to the side of weakness. That's the first thing. The second thing is, all of us are going to have different preferences. And God says, that's okay, as long as you remember the bottom line. That it is about Christ in him alone. 
to give you a, a closing example, um, if you have a, a handout or a bulletin or something, if you want to play along with this, you can. Um, there's a, a scientific term that I don't know much about. It's called um, perspective. And uh, what happens is this. If you can kind of roll these, just play along. It's a good time to end out the way, sun, Sunday this way. Um, kind of roll it into like a cone, like a telescope kind of deal, right? Yeah, look at that, right? Um, so if you kind of roll that up, you can kind of use that, and you're kind of like, finally, I can do something, because it's good. Okay, so wake up a little bit, and it's good. So as you do this, here's what we know about this, is that uh, when you look to this side, right, it starts to become what? Larger, right? Or it comes closer. We start to kind of see it bigger. What was... <laughs> you're doing it. It's really weird. Stop it. Um, yeah, so it starts to become larger and bigger, and you start to see it, and then when you flip it this way, right, it becomes smaller, really, really tiny. Now it looks, oh, let's see, everybody gets to play along today, right? And they say church ain't useful. See, and, and, and it starts to become smaller, and the same is true in division, is that when, 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 there's, when there's division, what happens is it, 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 things that were small become large, and things that are large become small. In other words, I say it like this. Unity will come by fixing your eyes on the larger picture. Disunity will come by fixing your eyes on the smaller picture. When your eyes are always focused on that small grievance somebody's put against you, you're always going to have an issue. Truth number two is, if your eyes get fixed on the larger picture, you get smaller. And if your eyes are fixed on the smaller, you get larger right? So, so here's the truth. If your eyes are constantly fixed on that larger picture, your preference, your desires get smaller. When you're, when you're sold out to the church being about the church and not just about your preferences, things get smaller in your world, and that's good, okay? When life's all about you, and you don't spend any time with anybody else in the church, and you just have a grievance against everybody, and you just can't stand that person because they looked at you funny, and they didn't wave that day, and you were just like, I can't even believe they didn't wave at me that day, and it's got to be because I hate them, and they hate me, and ah, right? You focus on the smaller, not the larger. God says, I want you to remember the big picture. Focus on the larger and not the smaller. Because the bottom line is the bottom line. When we live in preference and pride long enough, you will ultimately divide. And we don't want that for our church. So as you go today, here's, a, here's one challenge. I want you to spend time this week or this month, this semester, whatever. I want you to spend time with people not like you. Right? Spend time with people that you just have nothing in common with. That'd be interesting, right? You're like, I don't even know what to talk about. This is weird, right? Exactly, right? Or spend time with people that you don't normally hang out with because ultimately it's not about you. Listen to podcasts, authors, and views that are not always your own. Expand a little bit so it's not just about your preferences, your desires, but it's about the bigger picture this morning. Because here's the fear if we live in preference of pride long enough, we will divide. And I, we don't want that for this church. So my prayer is for us that we continue to put Christ at the center. He is our first desire. And secondly, that we start to kind of branch out past our preference and find people that may be a little different than us so that God continues to build his church here. Let me pray for us. God, thanks so much for this morning. Um, God, I know it's been a lot of information, um, a lot of processing through this scripture. But God, ultimately, here's what we want. We want you. Our desire is not for ourselves alone, but our desire is that you would be far more than ever we could ask or imagine. God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for this body of believers. I thank you for Community Bible Church. I pray you continue to use us in powerful ways. And I pray that as you do, you would unite us 
one heart, one mission, one mind, that ultimately your glory would be known, ultimately your name would be big, and that we would continue to make disciples of disciples of disciples who continually make your name big in this community. Father, as we go out, may we just sing this last song as a declaration. May we sing it as a, as a proclamation to you that you alone are what we need and desire. May you be our longest, biggest desire. We love you. Near and pray. Amen.